the Finance Trends and Disruptions podcast, powered by Stampley. Disruption, innovation, myth versus reality. The truth, featuring the voice of the office of the CFO, Ernie Humphrey. Hello, everyone. I'm Ernie Humphrey, the Vice President of Thought Leadership at Stampley. I'm thrilled to welcome everyone to the initial episode of the Finance Trends and Disruptions podcast. There are so many myths, so much hype, and way too many buzzwords in the world of finance today. Our Finance Trends and Disruptions podcast was designed to deliver the truth of what matters and what should really matter to the office of the CFO. We will explore current and emerging trends, separate hype from reality, and take on topics that some may see as controversial. The truth matters. I'm honored and humbled to have Anders Lou Lindbergh as my first guest on our initial episode, The Art of Business Partnering as a CFO in the New Remote Reality. I have been a fan of Anders for many years, starting when he was just getting his feet wet in the realm of thought leadership several years ago, contributing in the performative community of finance leaders, which I helped build from the ground up to over 30,000 members with great thought leaders like Anders. Anders is the co-founder, chief operating officer, and CMO at the Business Partnering Institute and the owner of the largest group dedicated to finance business partnering on LinkedIn with more than 8,000 members. He has 10 years of experience as a business partner at the global transport and logistics company, Maersk. He is also the co-author of the book, Create Value as a Finance Business Partner and a longtime finance blogger on LinkedIn with over 40,000 followers. Anders, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thanks a lot, Ernie. And how great is it that we are, we are talking after all these years? And we also did met, uh, meet physically a few years back in, uh, in Chicago. But it's great to keep collaborating with people that you've known for years and just you know keep getting good opportunities to work with. So really happy to be here. Absolutely. My pleasure. So, um, Anders, can you please share with us a little bit about your journey to becoming a pioneer in the field of business partnering? Yeah, I think I think it started more than uh, more than ten years back, or maybe even ten years back uh, to, around that, when we had the then CFO of of Maersk coming to uh, to this graduate program I was a part of, and uh, he had a talk about where he saw finance going in the future, and he said to us, you know, finance must move from the trunk of the car to the passenger seat and become a co-driver of the business. That was sort of the starting point for me, right? That's business partnering, right? You're co-driving together with, together with, um, with your business leaders, and then from there, you know, we started the finance strategy where we had to, you know, become more efficient with our operations. We had to get more insights and analytics, and then we had to do more decision support, right? So all the business units in the company were pushed towards being uh, being business partners. However, there was no real guidance in terms of, of how do we do it. So I think everyone just tried to, to, to be a business partner in, in their own right, and so did I. So I got lots of opportunities in, in 2010, 11, uh, 12 to, to be a business partner and also had some, some good wins. And also, you know, looking back at it, definitely things I could have done even better. But, but those first few years, you know, they, they led to lots of reflections in terms of, how do you actually succeed as a business partner? It left me to wonder, why is no one talking about this? <laughs> you could always go in and download a publication from the big four or something else. But I saw no practitioners talking about business partnering as a topic, uh, as something new that finance professionals should try to uh, try to succeed with. Um, so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it. 
So I published an article in, I think, AFP Exchange back in uh, in the spring of 2014, probably, where I talked about the business partner journey I've, I've, I've been on um, as a finance manager in, uh, in, in a company in the U.S., and from there, really just started blogging about it, talking about it and whatnot. And of course, I've been working in business partner-like roles ever since. So it's it's sort of like a going back and forth between doing the work, talking about the work, learning from others, and then you can say, really just just going from there. I think that's uh, that that's the journey in its in its essence. Yeah, and that, that's really amazing. And so it's it's amazing to me how you've. Uh, followed your passion. And so it's something that we always needed to do in finance, right? So we were always stuck in the corner office. And so as the CFO's role has evolved, we'll talk about that a little later. It's not an evolution, it's a revolution. So we're tired of that of that term, but it's really more about engaging leaders across the enterprise, teaching them their language, having them learn our language. So it's been fascinating for me to see you really develop this as a discipline um, from the ground up and at the same time being a thought leader in finance. And so it's always great for me to see someone else kind of follow their passion in that entrepreneurship. And so let's just shift gears a little bit because I do want to talk about the remote reality, right? What's really changed right in our environment. All of our worlds have really been uh, accelerated or changed in, in, in the last few months. And for me, some of the transitions that we're seeing were things that were going to happen over five to 10 years, and they just kind of happened um, overnight. So I know that face-to-face engagement is absolutely essential to business partnering, and it's really almost impossible to engage. But can you just share with us how the approach to effective business partnering might change in a remote environment and some of the advice that you're giving um, to folks that are already engaged in the process or folks that are that are really maybe hesitating and why they shouldn't hesitate. Now is really the time to do it. Yeah, so I mean, there there are two very, very key and essential things to to effective business partnering. One is insights, right? So having information to share with your stakeholders that they don't know but can help them make better decisions. That you can do from any time, anywhere, right? It's just you in front of your your screen doing analysis and coming up with some insights. But the other part is trust, and trust is very difficult to build in a remote environment. So you can definitely, you can say, work as a business partner in a remote environment. But if you never meet, you know, face to face, your stakeholders, it's going to be very difficult. Let me give you an example. So in, in, in my last role at Maersk, I was also working as a senior business partner. And I got an assistant who worked in our service center in India. And this was the you know, fantastic guy. He was really good at everything he, he did. I, whatever I threw at him, he would do it. He would do it well. But there was always this kind of, you know, distance between him and the stakeholders that I was working with. But as soon as he came over and actually met them, you know, he didn't have to do different work, but just the fact that they had seen each other, you know, shaking hands, maybe we shouldn't do that these days, but, you know, built that more uh, intimate relationship. Everything was easier from there. So when I uh, when I left my role, of course there was no one just to take over immediately. So my assistant he really just stepped in, and my stakeholder said, "Oh, that's a great solution, right?" And maybe there'll come a come a replacement at some point. But he had been there, he had met them, and he could use his skills as a business partner to to then do this really really well. So I'd say if you are working in a hundred percent remote environment, you have to be really crisp and straightforward with how you want to do things, right? So you have to ask the right questions. 
you have to show a genuine interest, genuine interest in you know, the stakeholders succeeding. You cannot just run a standard performance management cycle, for instance, because you know that that's going to wear everyone out. Right? So you have to do things differently, mix things up, and ask, okay, so how are you doing today? How is the business going? What can I do to help? And really just be this support that, that, that they need. And you will need to be that support anyway if you're sitting with them physically. But now you just, you know, you need to build trust in a different way. And that is, that is the absolute key challenge here, to build trust in a remote environment. Okay, fantastic. Um, let me kind of circle back a little bit. You're going to be surprised that I switch gears a little bit on you, right? So I think one of the things I want to circle back on, and now in the remote reality, a lot of people are being forced to change not only how they do their job, but maybe go into a new role. So I'm sure it was a, a big decision and leap, right, to go full-time um, into your business partnering. So can you share with us kind of uh, what your thought process was and how you found the courage to really do that um, when you were having great success in your company? I mean, you were doing a great job. And how did you find the courage to, to really follow what your true passion was? Yeah, so you can say the, the company was was established already, you know, one and a half years back when I made the decision. So I think you know, that gave everyone comfort to say that we had already done this, me on the sidelines and some people doing it full time. And, and and so that's that's always a comfort, right? Some people, they go on this journey with, with nothing but an idea and then they have to work it up from there. We had the idea long ago and we had already established the company. So that, that of course, helped. But from what I could see is, you know, and of course, in in, in my uh, in in my life as, as as someone who tries to impact the, the the finance profession, I talked to so many different people, so many different companies, and all of them were interested in you know becoming better business partners. So many positive dialogues that we've had, and it just made me say, well, the potential of doing this is is so big. And if we can, you know, then we found a good solution between uh, between Michael, the, the my co-founder, and myself to to say, okay, this is how we're going to work it, and then then I just went for it. And of course, you know, if you take the current situation out of the, the equation, it, it, you know, it's been a great start. So many great dialogues, so many more companies wanting to uh, learn how to become better business partners. So we're we're absolutely convinced about the potential of this. Now we're just going to retool a bit in this new uh, in this new environment, but but I mean the, the potential is is massive, and and as you say yourself, or anyway, being able to work with with your passion is is such a it's such a luxury, right? I mean, seventy percent of American workers are disengaged in their work. I mean, getting to work with your passion, which also supports the purpose that I'm striving for, which is to help finance professionals succeed in their careers and finance functions drive value creation. I mean, how many people actually get to do that? It's a, it's a massive privilege that, that I've had here. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and that's what's, um, I think that's why Anders and I have, have become pretty good colleagues over the past few years, is we both really have a passion for serving the finance profession and making people better at their jobs and making them successful. And that's what really brings us joy. We could probably both make more money um, if we did something else, but that's not really uh, the point of our journey. And so let's get back to business partnering and and of course, um, you and I both agree of the importance of what I have termed the social CFO. And so that's really about getting out of your comfort zone a little bit, but being authentic, right? Can you share with us what you believe it takes to be a social CFO? And then give us some color around the background. So you and you had a great, great article, The Rise of the Social CFO and Six, six Other Types of CFOs. And so 
Can you start with the social CFO and and give us some color on on what it takes to do that? And then just kind of, you know, in a succinct matter, as long as you want to take about the other um, five types uh, of CFOs that you mentioned in your article. Again, that's a is a fantastic article. And that's a great read. Thanks, Ernie, and thanks for also giving me an idea for that that article. I mean, uh, I think the social CFO as a concept is is a great concept because it talks about what is it that CFOs need to do. And to me, it's not just about the CFO; it's just about just as much about everyone else in uh, in finance and accounting, right? Because I think there are many CFOs out there that they get this and they have actually taken the steps to, to, to learn what it takes to be more social, be more engaging, go out and have conversations with investors, customers, and so forth, right? So I think they are getting it and more and more CFOs are getting there. But it's, it's just as much the rest of the finance function that, 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 that's so important to me. Um, because, you know, the first article I wrote uh, on, on LinkedIn, which is also six years back, it was like, you know, how to break free from the stereotype because the stereotype of finance people is like bean counter, right? How many times in your life haven't you been called a bean counter? And you're like, yeah, you know, I get why you say that, but it's not it's not really all I want to do. But we have to break free from that bean counter stereotype. And we can only do that by doing things that they don't expect, right? So they don't expect us to be social. They don't expect us to have engaging conversations and go out there and talk to business stakeholders at first and ideally also customers and, and and whatnot. So that to me is the important part, right? We need to do something different and break free of those uh, those chains that have been holding us for, for for centuries to our desk and our screen and our numbers and sending out emails and never talking to anyone. And believe me, I've been there. When I started at Maersk as a financial controller as a student, you know, calling up someone to talk about something that was terrifying to me, right? Walking over to them never happened, right? I prefer to just sit there in my box and send out some emails and hope that things will work out. So I've been there, but it's just not on anymore, right? We need to go out and actually learn about what's going on in the big world and talk to people and understand what it is that they're doing, understand what they're trying to achieve so we can help them instead of just sending them numbers and things that we think they will act on and they never act on. So that's why the social CFO concept is so important, right? So social skills of finance people needs to be developed. How do we do that? I think you said it yourself. It's about stepping outside the comfort zone. You don't have to be outside the comfort zone all the time, but you need to step out and do things that, yeah, well, feels uncomfortable. Okay, great. Kind of follow up. Uh, on the other types of CFOs, and let's let's couch it this way: Are you seeing any of the other types? I'm, I'm sure you can look at it as maybe a portfolio of all the characteristics together of what the optimal CFO looks like if you could build one. So, are there any other types of CFOs that you think um, we need to look a little bit to look a, be a little bit more like? So maybe it's the disruptive CFO or the I don't know the exact terms innovative. So just give me a couple other types that you think the this this is more important forever to people to strive to be a little bit more in this category yeah so so i think you know if, if you go if you go 10 12 years back to the financial crisis and i think you know that's that's really where you can start right so i had this the old-fashioned cfo which mm -hmm. really came you know into uh 
in, into life again after the financial crisis because everything was was so poor, all the companies were so far down that they just needed someone that could you know hold the numbers together, you know, stop you know all the fraud things that might be going on. We also had you know even before that the the Enron scandal, all of that. So the old fashioned CFO had golden days back then, but very quickly companies saw that if we were to survive. You know, we need to deliver value in, in, in the short term. Where's the value going to come from? Well, maybe it's going to come from analytics, right? So that's why analytics come up and CFOs are pushed to be more data-driven, come up with more insights, more numbers, right? I think we still like that, right? We like to work with the numbers. We like to work with the analysis. But it's, it's not enough, right? Then we need to start becoming strategic because we have to work with the business model, try to redefine how we do business, and, and really be a proactive partner to the to, to the CEO in that matter. Then we need to transform things, right? Because it's you know, the world develops quite fast, and then we need to we need to continue that. So we've seen a decade of tra- finance transformation, just as an example. And then I added, you know, uh, a few years back, the disruptive CFO on top, right? Because the the pace of change just keeps going faster and faster. We've been saying that for years, but it's true. And, you know, the current situation just proves that the pace of change keeps going faster and faster. So it's not enough for the CFO to be inward looking in the company. The CFO needs to be looking outwards and see what's happening in the market. So take the current health crisis turning into an economic crisis situation. If you're a disruptive CFO, you're thinking, how can we redefine our business to win in the next normal because there's always another normal coming in, right? It's not the new normal anymore. It's the <laughs> next normal because there's always something else coming in. That's what a disruptive CFO is looking for. Of course, all these five different types, they don't really work that well unless you add the social element on top. Someone that can build relationships with all the important stakeholders in the company and make things happen because of it. Right? So that's why the social ingredient is sort of what binds everything together. So if you are an old-fashioned CFO and the really classic accounting audit partner kind of type, if you have the social element, I think you can still work quite well. But ideally, I mean, you're not, you're not bringing everything to the table that the CEO would like, but you could work quite well. The more of these types you have, the better. So I'm sort of seeing like building on top of each other. If you look at other CFO uh, evolution models or revolution models, you look at, you know, let's say Deloitte's or McKinsey's model, they all sort of like, they have these like four or five types, but, but there's no evolution, right? It's a static model. I see this as an evolutionary model where we keep building on top. I don't know what the next level from social is, but I'm sure there's going to be one. And now we add six. When I wrote an original article about this, we were at five, and I'm sure we're going to be at seven and eight and so forth, right? Because it evolves, but you still need to know your accounting or at least hire a VP or SVP of accounting that knows accounting so that when you get asked, you know what to say. It's not that accounting is not important anymore. It's just that you need to do so many other things that maybe you just need to hire an excellent accountant to take care of those things. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, I look forward to working with you to define those uh dimensions of seven and eight. Um, so let's let's shift gears uh, a little bit and get back to the, the crisis a little bit because you've um, offered some fantastic content on that as well. So I lo- love an article Anders has written, 15 tips for finance professionals when in the middle of a crisis, which is incredibly important and valuable in these times. So can you 
share with us. And it doesn't have to be five, you know, three or four of the tips that you think are most important. And then also, can you share with us maybe what you've been seeing about how companies are reacting and and kind of how you, how long you see the real implications to uh, play out for finance? Yeah. So I think, you know, when, when business is bad, somehow everyone turns to finance to come up with something. I mean, maybe in, in, in a classical way, because, you know, you're looking for cash to survive, but it could also be, you know, ideas of how to restructure things or ideas of how to cut costs and whatever. So when business is bad, finance should, I'm not saying they have, but they should be having good days because now they get this seat at the table, which they have been standing outside the door for 10 years, banging the door, trying to get in. And then and suddenly when this whole situation happened, the door suddenly slammed open and they stumble in the door <laughs> and they found themselves thinking, what the heck am I going to do now? I, I wanted to get in, but I just don't know what to do when I get in here. So that's really why I've, I've, I've tried for a couple of weeks now to, to give tips on what finance professionals should do in this current situation when they're actually sitting at the table. And there are some, you know, there, there are some, some, some personal traits that you need to mm-hmm. look at. So, at, you know, I put at the top, you know, stay positive, right? Because as soon as you start letting all the negative thoughts in, and God knows we have lots of negative thoughts all the time, but if you let them in too much, your capacity to actually get stuff done decreases significantly and you're going to be caught like a deer in the headlights sitting there at the table and people are looking at you and saying, okay, CFO, what are we going to do? So stay positive, right? You have to have a positive influence on everyone in the company to you know, uh, get their, their, their shit together and get things done. Right? So I think that's, that's really, really important. Then, of course, there's something around operating cycles, right? So how does the business continuity plan work? You know, how are you making decisions and so forth? I think the CFO is, is a good person to take charge of running that. Of course, the CEO is the deciding factor, but the CFO, just like when you do performance management, can definitely make this run as a facilitator or what we even call a catalyst, right? So, the you know, the CFO is the one that gets things out there and make sure they get done, even though he or she is not doing it themselves. Then okay, there are all uh, the, the, the finance things, right? So look at the cash flow. Do you have emergency funds? Look at your AR and AP and so forth. And those are some of the things that finance people would you know, turn to as, as, as number one. And we should do those, right? But it's just not enough to, to only do those. But of course, we need to, to find cash to make sure we can, we can survive. And then there's, you know, all the bits around coming up with new initiatives or thoughts of how to do things better. So review all existing contracts, review insurances and whatnot, right? And it can be many different things that you want to do in this case, cut SGNA budgets, whatever it might be. So you need to come up with all these ideas. And then I think uh, the last bit maybe is around getting visibility into what's happening. So do you actually know what's happening on the ground in this crisis? What are competitors doing? What's happening to your business, and so on and so forth? What's happening in the in the, in the government? We you know what kind of uh, aid packages are they sending out, and so forth. Have visibility, build models, dashboards, whatever it might be, to to know what's going on in your business. And then you know, if you have capacity to spare, I'm sure if you do, but then you can start to look for new market opportunities, product conversions, and grab share wherever possible. Right. So. You know, it's it's uh, 
it's survival of the fittest as always. And if you're very, very fit, then you can also be a, a winner in this crisis. If you can even talk about that, that's maybe a bit too much, but, but you can come out stronger, at least relatively speaking, than you went into it. Oh, thank you so much, um, Anders, for your tremendous um, insights that you've shared uh, with us today. So, so, so just for me to make a, a few uh, final points to put a fine point on some of the great um, advice and, and content that Anders um, has shared with us. And, and really one of the things that I want to once again stress is for folks to follow your passion and really look to serve your, your profession and really the importance um, of business partnering and really looking across the enterprise to add value and being that business partner and really earning earning that trust. And part of that as a leader is to be that social CFO and to not be afraid of the disruption. And a couple other things, be ready when you're strategic. The strategic doors open, right? Andrew said, when the doors open, you got to come crashing through it. You got to be ready to play, right? You're only going to get one chance. When you get the bat, you better go up swinging. You're not swinging for a single. You better be ready to go. And so, so let's all be ready to do that. And then in terms um, of the crisis, let's stay positive. Uh, and let's also look for opportunities. This gives us opportunities to add more value. Let's communicate more with our stakeholders. Let's communicate more with our suppliers. And let's figure out how everyone can move forward and come out uh, on the other side of the crisis. So uh, thank you so much, um, Anders, again, for your uh, thought leadership and your continued uh, commitment with me to serve the treasury and finance profession. So thank you so much, Anders. Uh, you're welcome, Ernie, and thanks for having me. That concludes our first episode of the Finance Trends Disruption Podcast. I look forward to having you join us for our next podcast. Stay safe and healthy and make the rest of your day great, everyone. Thank you for attending this episode of the Finance Trends and Disruptions podcast. I encourage you to visit www.stampley.com to consume more thought leadership resources to help fuel your career success. Make the rest of your day great, everyone. The truth matters.